Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, for this time of worship, as we refocus our hearts upon you as we head into a new week. And Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would speak and you wouldn't just uh, inform us, but you would transform our hearts to live for you in this world that you've made. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome. If you're visiting um, and, or you're new or you're watching online for the first time, my name's Nick, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we're, we're thrilled you're here. It is neat to see a full house again and love to connect with you after the service. So come, come find me. I will have a boy leaning, hanging off me somewhere. I've just got one with me today. The others are feeling a little sick. Uh, but come find me. I'd love to say hi after the service. We are starting a new sermon series as we head towards Easter. And this year we're exploring John 17 in a few uh, parts over the course of the next couple Sundays. John 17 is called Jesus' high priestly prayer because Jesus prays for his disciples, both the ones there but also the ones to come. And that's why we're calling this series Listening to Jesus Pray for Us. Interestingly, though, this first one, these first few verses uh, are actually Jesus praying for himself, focusing on him and the Father. And if you look at the first five verses here in chapter 17, he begins his prayer with these key words, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. Now we're dropping into John 17, right into the middle of the story, and John has actually been working with those key words and those themes of hour and glory for 17 chapters. And so we're going to do a quick survey of how that works so we can understand sort of the impact of our reading this morning. The hour has come. So lately, as Brian mentioned, are you excited about spring? Rowan asks us repeatedly, when is spring? Has spring come? Is it on a certain date? And once we've passed that certain date, why is there still snow? How come it's not instant, right? Is it spring? The other big one we get often is, when do we go to Winnipeg? This is a common question, because grandma and grandpa are there, and we must see them. It's imperative. When are we going to Winnipeg? We realize that if we told them actually too far in advance, it would drive us crazy. And so we actually one time waited until the morning we were to leave to tell him. And we said, Rowan, guess what? Today we're going to Winnipeg. And you should have seen him like, like right now? I was like, no, like literally right now. Yeah, go get ready. We're going to go. Uh, the excitement was palpable, right? And when the time has come, be it spring or the, the journey to Winnipeg, certain things are set in motion, aren't they? Especially if you're going on a trip. There's things that have to be done. The car is packed. In our case, the snacks are also packed uh, in, in abundance. And off we go. And there's that question, especially when you're young, is it time yet? Is it time yet? And when will the time come? And then the hour has come. The time has arrived, and something is now beginning. Something has started. Something has shifted. And it's that same sense of shifting that is present in Jesus' words here when he says, the hour has come. There's three things particularly that arrive when that hour comes, as Jesus says these words. The first is that it's the hour of glorification. And you see that right away. Look with me at John 17, verse 1. 
Father, the hour has come, and what's the next word? Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour that we have been waiting for, if you're reading through John's gospel, and that's sort of been set up for you, and of course we're jumping into it now just this morning, but the hour has now come, it's finally arrived, and it involves the revelation of the glory of God. Now, glory, we tend to think, is a sort of a word of splendor. You might say, like, look at the sort of in their glory, and they're sort of radiant and golden and glittery, perhaps. I don't know. But the concept in Hebrew of glory refers to weightiness. It refers to one's reputation, to one's character, to what you are honored for. And we get a sense of that when we, when we say, uh, you know, we're... It, this is our glory, or almost when you think of battle, perhaps in some sense, and you're going for glory, for what you will be remembered for, for the character that you're exhibiting as you aim for glory. But in Exodus and in the Bible, glory, God's glory, is about the revelation of who he is and what he's about, his character, his reputation, his glory. And so in John 17, when we read the hour has come, we're talking about the revelation of the character of God, his glory, his reputation, who he is about, what he's about, and what does that look like? Well, like I said, this isn't the first time that John has tied the hour and glory together before. In fact, you will find it back in John chapter 2. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you can in your Bibles if you'd like. John chapter 2, we're at the wedding in Cana. It's a multi-day celebration of hospitality and life and party, and you get to go with your friends, and there's lots of food, and it's very, very exciting. And Jesus is invited as well, and you want uh, the party to, to go on for some time, and you want the wine to last for the whole celebration, and what happens? The wine runs out, right? And, and that can lead to sort of social disgrace for the husband and the wife, the new husband and wife who are to provide for this multiple celebration. And Mary nudges Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. Kind of the, the subtext is, hey, go do something about it so you can spare them the embarrassment. And what does Jesus say? He says, my hour has not yet come. And then he turns around and, and does something about it anyway. But first he says, no, we're not quite ready to reveal this. But okay. But Okay. And even so, he turns the water into the best variety of wine, and he saves the party. And this is the first miracle in John's gospel. And what's it about? John's telling us uh, that, it, and he tells us later on in verse 11, he, he explains why this is important. He says, this was the first of his signs, what Jesus did in Cana at Galilee, and it manifested his glory. So the hour was not quite ready, said Jesus, but okay, I'm going to reveal it anyway. And once he does, John says, yes, when Jesus reveals this, it manifests his glory. Even though the hour hasn't quite shown up yet, Jesus' own words, we get a taste, literally a taste of Jesus' glory, of who he is, of his character and his purpose. And you may think, well, what is water turning into wine? How does that reflect God's glory? And I understand that for many of us, alcohol has played a terrible role in your family or your family history, and it can cause much abuse and do all sorts of damage. 
And that's very true, and we don't want to sort of downplay that for a moment. But you must also remember that, that wine in the Bible is considered a part of God's blessing. It's considered a gift of his creation. That's why, what, what, do the, what do the spies do when they go into Israel and come back with what? They come back with grapes because it's an indication of the blessing of the land to produce grapes, but also wine because you need vineyards to last for peacetime to be able to cultivate good crops. And so they come back to show Look at the blessing of this land. It's a good land. Look at what they can produce. And so often in the Bible, wine is a symbol of new life and blessing and joy. And so the giving of new wine reveals something of Jesus' glory, his identity as Yahweh among us, and the joy and the life that he's come to bring. Now this theme again of the hour coming, and the revelation of Jesus' glory gets picked up a little later in John 5. And in John 5, 25, Jesus says, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. So you're starting to experience it even now. And Jesus says, what's going to happen when this hour comes? The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And so John is now set up when the hour comes the Son of God will speak and not just turn wa water into wine, but he can now make dead things come alive. And what happens just a little bit down the road? We get to John 11, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He calls him, and Lazarus comes hopping out in his grave clothes. It's an issue of the time, again, even at the... At the at the resurrection of Lazarus, because what's up? Martha and Mary are upset that he didn't come sooner. Jesus, we wanted the hour to come in our time when I wanted it. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Chapter 11, verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. What's it about? It's for the glory of God. The Son of Man may be glorified through this. And Jesus comes to the grave and says, Lazarus, out you come, and out he gets, bopping away. And now that's, it's one thing to prevent someone from dying. It's another thing to take someone who's dead and has gone seriously smelly after four days and bring them back to life. And Jesus says, this is for the revelation of the glory of God. And it looks forward to, of course, the more extraordinary event where the one who can make people come back to life himself is killed and comes back to life. Now in John 7 and John 8, the Pharisees keep trying to arrest Jesus because of his teaching and his healing, and John tells us they can't arrest him. Jesus slips by because the hour has not yet come. The time has not yet arrived. And that is all happening in the background when you get now to John 17, and we read finally the hour has come. And when the hour comes, it will be about glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father. And we can be sure that the arrest is going to come uh, right, out, right away after this. And Jesus knows that as well. The time has come. And now comes the revelation of the glory of God. And is it going to come through 
Throwing out the Romans? Nope. Is it going to come through some sort of Pharisee religious reform? Nope. In John 12, Jesus says the hour is finally coming, and what's the very next thing he starts talking about? He starts talking about his death. You want to see the glory of God revealed. This is what God's like. He'll let himself be killed for you. That's the glory of God. You want to see the ultimate display of God's glory. It's the life he gives. It's the water into wine. It's the dead Lazarus coming back to life that is made available and possible for each and every one who believes through his death on the cross. This is what it means to know the glory of God, his character. In John 12, verse 27, we get a picture of, of the sort of the turmoil in Jesus' own heart as he knows his death is coming. He says, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? There's that key word again. No. It was for this purpose that I have come to this hour. Father, and here's the word again, glorify your name. Glorify your name. How will he glorify his name? Verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And that's what's going on when we get to John 17, verse 1. The hour has come to reveal the glory of the Son, the one who gives life and breath, and it will be revealed most fully at the cross. This is what it means to love, to lay down your life for your enemies and to give them the love and the grace of God for all who believe. And so it's the hour of Jesus' glory, his revelation as Yahweh among them, but of course it's the revelation of his death, the suffering servant who will give his life for the life of the world. This is why he's come. But there's more than just meditating this morning on this is Jesus' glory, that he's willing to go to the cross for us. I want to focus on the reason he does it. And look at verse 2. And what he says is the promise for us. He says, verse 2, he says, glorify the Son, and then since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then he answers the question, what is eternal life? And if you've been in church for any amount of time, we talk about eternal life fairly often. Uh, it's one of those things we think, but we're, we're going to come, come to know Jesus and you can have eternal life. But here's the definition of eternal life from Jesus. Verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life involves knowing, being in relationship with the living God who loves you. This is eternal life. And eternal life for John is never just sort of intellectual knowledge, like I know about God as sort of an abstract idea. It involves fellowship. It involves intimate relationship with God, knowing him as a person. So if you want to know true and abundant life, says John, you look at Jesus. And what's the greatest revelation of who Jesus is? It's as he's hanging on the cross. That's what God's about. That's the God who loves you. So the hour has come, starts this prayer. The hour of Jesus' glory, the hour of his coming death, which are really one and the same. 
but also the hour of the giving of eternal life for all who will believe. That's the reason I've come, says Jesus. What are some of the implications of, of all that for us today? Just two things I want to mention quickly. One's a response, and the other is a reminder. What do we make of Jesus' words for us? I think the first thing is there's a call for us to respond to what Jesus says here. We don't make God in our own image. We don't have an idea of God and then fill him with what we would like that to be. No, no. God has revealed who he is. And he has revealed himself most fully through Jesus. We see what God is like in his willingness to go to the cross and to take our sin and our death upon himself to give eternal life, resurrection life, to all who will believe. That's his glory. That's his reputation. That's his character that he's come to bring that healing love and that joy and that new life to all who will come. And so the first uh, thing for us to think of this morning when we look at this text is the response. Will we respond to Jesus who goes to the cross for us? Will we believe? You can either ignore Jesus or you can think he's crazy, or we can realize it's all true. And that demands a response from us, to bend the knee, to give him our hearts and our lives. The second thing this text does is it reminds us, it reminded me of this, that Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the life of the world. That's the revelation of God's glory and God's heart for us. And perhaps then, as his followers, as the church, we need to be reminded that God's love is manifested and displayed as we are willing to walk in his footsteps, as we are willing to lay down our lives for others. That the love of God and the glory of God is displayed when we do the same thing and seek to live selflessly for those who don't know him where we seek to lay down our lives, when we seek to make amends with those who've hurt us, when we seek to reconcile with loved ones, perhaps most importantly or significantly most recently, is when we seek to live in peace and love in harmony, even in the midst of intense political divides in our country, and intense and emotional debates over responses to COVID, and regulations around COVID and issues with our government, that perhaps the glory of God is displayed as we choose instead to love each other first and foremost and let that harmony and the peace of God be what we're known for, even if we may disagree in other areas of opinion, that we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And perhaps as a church, that old song, they'll know we're Christians by our love, would be true of us. And I pray that would be. And so may our lives point to Jesus as we reach out to those who do not know him. May we be about that work of making disciples, pointing people to Christ in our words and in our actions at home and in the workplace because it's for his glory, for his splendor, for his name. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you that you did not forsake 
the hour when it came. That, Lord, you faced it, knowing this is why you came, to go to the cross for us, to bear our sins and our sorrows, to take on the death that we deserved for the evil that we caused, to take that all upon yourself and to reveal ultimately that this is the glory of God. This is who God is like. He's the God who lays down his life for his enemies. He's the God who loves those who don't love him. And he's the God who makes life and salvation available for all who believe. Lord, we thank you that forgiveness and hope and healing from the brokenness of our lives is found in you. We can try all sorts of ways to medicate that, to try and satisfy our longings, to try and find meaning and hope on our own. But Jesus, at the end of the day, our life is found in you. Only you can turn water into wine and bring new life. Only you can breathe and speak into what is dead and make someone come alive again. And Lord, I thank you that you today still have the authority and the love to call each of us by name out of the grave and say, come forth. Lord, regardless of, of what we're in today, the sort of week we've had, the sort of sins we're facing, the issues we're facing at home, in our own lives, in our families, at work, whatever it might be, you call us from death into life. And Jesus, we pray that you would remind us, first prompt us to respond to that call, and second, Lord, to remind us to live in light of what you've done, that you left the comfortableness, we could say, to come to us, your enemies, to love us. Lord, may we be willing to step outside of our own comfort zones to extend your love and your grace to those that we may consider our enemies. Indeed, those that perhaps in our own family, those that we were once friends with, Lord, that you would help us to live out your love and your reconciliation in light of the cross. Lord, we thank you today that you are at work in our world. We thank you that you're at work in Dryden. And we pray, Lord, your blessing over this land and over this city, that you would continue to be about the work of your gospel. Lord, we pray for the ministries and the churches where your name is lifted up, and we pray your blessing over them. Lord, that you'd give wisdom and guidance to leaders and to missions groups, Lord, as they seek to to win the lost. Lord, we pray for our municipal leaders and our provincial and federal leaders. Lord, we pray that you would move their hearts towards righteousness. Lord, we pray that there would be spiritual awakening and renewal in the hearts and the families of those that are in positions of authority in our land. Lord, we pray that we would seek you first in your kingdom, that we would be pointed afresh, Lord, to the mission of, of of making your name known, of pointing people to you. Lord, we pray and we thank you that you're at work in, in our broader world and we give you this morning the situation in the Ukraine and we think of the violence there and the innocents that are caught up in the warfare and we pray, Lord, for your peace to reign and we pray, Lord, for justice to be done 
And we thank you, God, that we are reminded in moments like this that we are in need of you to come and set things right. We pray that you would do that today, Lord. That what you do in our hearts individually of calling us to life and to wholeness, you also call for the whole world. So, Jesus, we pray that you would be at work in the churches that are there and the Christians that are there that have chosen to stay to help, have chosen to provide housing and food and lodging. Lord, for the organizations that are trying to bring assistance, we pray that you would make that way. Lord, there's so much more we could pray about. And so with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'd love to send you off with the benediction. And just a reminder, if you want to come for our outreach day, newcomers lunch, etc., 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 do sign up on that back table or online on your way out. Don't forget. Well, children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the revelation of his glory, of his character that he goes to the cross for you. And may you know the fullness of that salvation of his life and of his healing love in your hearts and in the hearts of your family and your home today. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. If you want prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Bless you.